And now, reading from the script of Bounty Law. The whole chapel erupts in commotion. The bride slash April starts to dart for the exit. Jake Cahill quickly raises and cocks back the hammer on his rifle and brings the barrel to bead on the bride. Dart again, lady, and I'll drop you dead. April freezes. Mr. Cahill, have you no religion, sir? You've drawn a weapon in the house of the Lord. Sorry about that, preacher. Now everyone calm down. Y'all recognize your sheriff, don't you? Sheriff Mills, do I or do I not have a warrant for this woman's arrest? Sheriff Mills, standing still in the back of the chapel by the entrance, says to the congregation, Citizens of Inez, this man's warrant is real. Apparently, this woman is not the woman we thought she was. I know this must come as a shock to you, Todd and Jack. April Webster is not her real name, and she really has a rope waiting for her in Colorado. April throws a look to Todd and shakes her head no. She reaches out her hand to him, and he takes it and stands up defiantly to this intruder. I don't believe a word of this malarkey. April is... Her name ain't April. It's Ruby Ravenshear. She's wanted for bank robbery and murder. Welcome to Authorized Crumbs, a series of mini episodes designed to string you along as you anticipate the next season of Authorized. Just as Hansel and Gretel once did, a dedicated listener can take these little teeny bits that we drop, each one too small to provide nourishment, and follow them in the hopes that a meal awaits, or a witch. That meal is Authorized Season 3, and it's out there somewhere. Keep going. We're your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Hannah Blackman. I'm Johnny Pomato. I'm Andrew Marco. And I'm Andrew Overby. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a 2019 film directed by Quentin Tarantino. In 2021, two years after its release, the director wrote and published a novelization of his own film. The resulting book was read, discussed, and reviewed by the Authorized Novelizations podcast. End of story, you may think, but no. Nested on the final page of the book, taunting its reader, was a plea for a further purchase. Want more Rick and Cliff, it reads? The deluxe hardcover edition, coming to a bookstore near you. And so, we return now to examine the bonus materials of a novel that was, itself, a bonus reel of the original film. So, folks, what are your impressions of the 60-plus pages of bonus materials in the back of the hardcover of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think it must be said that not all of us bought the book. I don't so. know that I, we should have me admit to a crime on air. I'm not sure if we should do that. I mean, for sure. I'm just saying, like, I didn't buy the hardcover. And so if I saw the hardcover bonus material, that's a mystery that will never be solved. But the concept of, like, there's 60 pages in the back that are additional, like, um, cool. <laughs> I can't yeah. speak to all of it. I will say that I wrote the uh, 
my part of the intro specifically so that I could defend this in court. So that <laughs> if they were like, you you claimed that everyone purchased the book, I would be like, actually, I said an additional purchase. <laughs> but also, this is a comedy podcast and everything's uh, everything is parody and uh, I can't be uh, pinned for anything. Thank you. <laughs> this is one of the first books we've read that I could actually find in a bookstore. So while I may not have been the additional purchase, I'll never say. I did peruse this book in a Barnes and Noble and see some of the spectacular artwork that is part of these 60 pages of bonus materials. And it was a treat. Yes. Uh, I, uh, too, when I heard that this book was coming out, I thought, well, this is not something that I need in my life. Uh, you know, I, I think I've given Quentin quite too much of my money uh, regarding this film already. Uh, so I think I'll just sit this uh, episode out and let you crazy kids talk about it yourselves. And then something showed up in my inbox with uh, photocopied <laughs> pages for me to read at my leisure. And, and so I, uh, I, I did peruse and uh, enjoyed the artwork and uh, read the Bounty Law script, which uh, I would call um, accurate and indulgent. <laughs> Classic Quentin. <laughs> You know, I got to say, and I'm sure Johnny and Hannah will be on my side on this. The most refreshing thing about the 60 pages of bonus material uh, was that at no point did they sully Brad Pitt's character further (laughs) by implying further crimes he may have committed. There you go. I do think they sully him pretty badly with the Mad Magazine caricature, which (laughs) truly makes his like remarkable jawline look like a, like a horrifying mountain to be climbed. <laughs> <laughs> and in that Mad Magazine parody, uh, he actually is responsible for the death of another person, uh, in, more indirectly, but uh, uh, he, he, uh, he uh, martyrs his own stuntman. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I forget if this was said in a part that we cut or not, but Hannah is experiencing all of these things in, uh, in real time. Yeah, I'm just currently doing a brief scroll through the the pictures that, you know, appeared miraculously through a purchase that was made. Um, but uh, it's fun because half the pages are upside down and I scroll along and it's fun and good. And then you reach like an Operation Dynamite and I'm like, maybe I'll print that out and frame it. I don't know. These are nice. <laughs> I think they're absolutely beautiful. I, I do want to say that I think the double book release for this is a real son of a bitch move. And I'm kind of mad at Tarantino for it. Um, It's maybe okay to release this book later, like a year later or what have you, but to actually have the ad in the first (laughs) edition for drop 45 bucks for this other book, um, I found insulting when we had the paperback. Uh, I would kind of prefer a paperback and then an art book that had the bounty law script or whatever, like a making of behind, here's a bunch of pictures, here's all this stuff we came up with. Like, I would buy that book probably. I'm not buying that fucking novel again. That would be pretty great as if they had a, as they do with, you know, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or whatever it is, like the the art of it, but it was all both stuff created, because some of this is posters that we see in the film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, in Rick Dalton's house and around, you know, parts of the set. But things like the Mad Magazine were, I assume, created for this. Uh, no, actually, uh, oh. Tarantino contacted Mad Magazine 
and asked to have like a mock-up made in the style of Jack Davis, who was the, you know, the chief caricaturist at Mad. And he just wanted like one panel to be framed on like Rick's wall. And they loved the idea so much. They said, what if we did a whole special edition magazine issue that was a like a, a, a 1960s era uh, uh, Mad Magazine that fe- was a parody of Bounty Law and we had a whole bunch of stuff themed with the film. And shortly after deciding that, uh, Mad Magazine uh, went bankrupt and that ended up being the last Mad Magazine new ever produced. Now they do. Wow. wow. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I was that very crazy. With the Mad Magazine thing. I had heard about it. I had, you know, I had seen the one cover that's featured in the film, but uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I hadn't imagined what it would be like. And it is such a perfect, like, recreation of those parody cartoons uh, that I, uh, it really, like, flooded me with happy memories of childhood <laughs> Mad Magazine reading. Does anyone else wish they had highlighted? other characters in the movie more with these things though with the comic strips or the pictures because this is such an alternate history movie that it sort of makes me wish that we had seen like some sharon tate or trudy or whatever it is in these or just other non you know rick dalton promotional materials something just of the world so i did drop the ball to some degree because in, I, of course, didn't reread the entire novel. Uh, there could have been new sentences. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did initially think that they had added chapter titles. And then I realized that the chapter titles were just so small in the original that I, I, I skipped <laughs> all of them. Whereas in this one, they're like, let me see if I can find one. They're just like, you know, huge. And uh, the, one, yeah. the one that made me think that they were new was the the chapter where they talk about how Cliff is a cinephile, is lamely, I think this is a lame joke, it's called I Am Curious Cliff. Because he <laughs> talks about I Am Curious Yellow so much. Anyway, I didn't reread the whole book, which caused me to miss that, and it's even hard to find now, there are like five more pages of photos in the center of the book <gasps> that are like, not stills from the movie, but like other photos. So like, looking at this, we've got like a Rick Dalton one up top. We've got Cliff going on here. That's actually a really good Cliff photo. Yeah. Um, where is that from? Captures the character. These are definitely like on set or photos taken while filming was occurring. Like they're from different angles, um, which is really cool. The only other one I wanted to showcase. First of all, Tim Roth was in this movie. What? He was cut. Wasn't he playing like a pop yeah, British butler? Look, look at this. He's he's serving uh, Mirabelle as like no, a butler. That's Jay, that's Jay Sebring. Oh, sorry. You're right. He's I'm sorry serving... that you confused Emile Hirsch for a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, yes, I think Tim Roth did film scenes. And then that scene is in the novelization, I think. Uh, there There is a butler character, right? Like a silly, like, a, oh, Jay Sebring. Uh, I like the idea of having an old-timey butler. Yeah, yeah, it I, was something like that. I believe so. And then the final photo, just so uh, it's an important one. Aww. It is uh, Quentin Tarantino <laughs> leaning against the Oscar Mayer Wiener. Was mobile. the Oscar Mayer Wiener car even in this film? Was Quentin Tarantino in this film? <laughs> uh, I don't care. I like it. Mercifully, no. No, I love it. Does I, he I not have any much. voice cameo or anything in this movie? Uh, not to my knowledge. 
Johnny, I wanted to say in regard to the Mad Magazine thing, it makes so much sense that Mad Magazine made that strip because it engages in a type of humor that is just not Tarantino's style. So specifically, like when Jake Cahill kills um, some random guy and he's like, the the guy is like dying because Jake Cahill in this is like, they're doing like the stormtrooper joke. Like he's so bad at shooting, he just shoots whoever. And the the this old man dying goes, you're flaking out, flake. Acidy jump coach. Acidy's the guy he's chasing. And your gun's gone aimless. Are you even trying? And uh, Jake goes, oops, I done nodded off. Got so bored, I fell asleep at the gun because he's so bored of his own show. And then the guy, as he bleeds out, goes, I can't, oh, Jake goes, uh, sorry I killed your cat. Guess that's collateral damage. And the guy <laughs> goes, I can't believe that's the last joke I'll ever hear. Which is a type of humor we hear a lot in like parody stuff, but not, that's not Tarantino's words. Oh, no. I mean, the Mad Magazine thing, I mean, all of those parodies were just built on a house of puns and, and horrible puns. But I did love about that, uh, uh, the, the the parody within Mad Magazine, uh, they really take Rick Dalton to task <laughs> for his shameless promotions and all of his uh, commercials that he does, which uh, I, I think actually was sort of a, a cutting edge take in uh, the, the... Right, for the listener, he keeps stopping during this high stakes pursuit of a criminal to be like, and definitely buy ground, you know, hummus or whatever. Like he's just, he, he's just plugging a million products. Yeah, yeah, something uh, that, that that's like an egg thing, and then uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's uh, the egg scrambler or something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very funny. This is such an unflattering caricature of Leo. Yeah, <laughs> it's hey, like got permanent blue steel. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like mugging happening within this little cartoon, but also it's just like, boy, if you ever thought maybe Leo's eyes are a little small, so did this artist. <laughs> Well, Mad Magazine makes everyone look stung, <laughs> right? It looks That's like true. they got stung in the face by a bee. <laughs> and I think it's a, almost a loving honor to uh, to have like a a, a, a Jack Davis uh, caricature because it is so specific to like Mad yeah. Magazine. Like you know whether they're uh, yeah you know it, it, you can chalk it up to more of a, uh, a parody, a spoof of Rick Dalton. But yeah, you can't get around the the physicality of Leo himself. But uh, I don't know. I'd like to think the man. <laughs> I think certainly. Humor. I mean, I wouldn't. I I wouldn't be offended by something. You're right. It's it's like an honor to be drawn so unflatteringly um, in this context. And you are not kidding that these drawings of Brad Pitt are really brutal for a truly <laughs> beautiful man. They're like not nah, not. Nah. Nope. His face at the same time looks like bloated and melted. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. I mean, compared to, you know, if you look back up to like these beautiful movie posters where it's just like, yep, that's a beautiful face. Even the like um, lunchbox drawing like caricature is like much more flattering. I mean, you know, on purpose, but. It's boy, being in a movie used to come with a full scale portrait of yourself, didn't it? I like that the um the color artwork includes the poster that is the one that Rick just has part of 
in oh, his Comanche driveway. Uprising? Yeah, the entire Comanche Uprising poster. Because in his driveway, we can I think he has the whole thing, but we can only see his face, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like the first shot of the movie after uh, the sort of black and white prologue. Right, right. And it's like, if you see it in passing, as I sort of did, it just looks like a photo of Rick Dalton grimacing. But <laughs> then you see the whole photo and his, like, head's under a boot. And, you know, he's go he's having a rough time. Yeah. yeah. Is there no uh, seven uh, what's of McCluskey in here? The 14 fists of McCluskey? Yeah, I don't see any fists. For a movie that gets referenced so much within Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I caught a bit of on TV recently, so it's fresher in my mind, it's surprising we don't get that poster. Yeah, I would love to see that poster. Well, that's being saved for a <laughs> that uh, we're also all going to have to buy. That's getting that- saved for the tertiary tomes novel, Twice <laughs> Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, when a novel, this has very little to do with the source material, but when a novel experiences a, pl- a price drop from like $45 to $15 in hardcover, that means it's selling atrociously, right? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, it's probably not a great sign. You know, my mother used to own and manage a bookstore, and she could speak better to this than I. I'm not exactly sure how the Barnes & Noble politics uh, work these days. It might just mean that they're getting slaughtered by Amazon sales or, or what. Um, you know, I, I just think that we're all very lucky to have, uh, uh, you know, some, some physical bookstores still out there. But uh, I just it, thought with all the color in the, in the back of this thing. Like, it's it probably, you know, costs a, a pretty penny to, to produce. Um, I'm really shocked that they didn't put out the deluxe hardcover first. I mean, if your fans who are like, I'm going to buy it immediately and read it, will buy the $50 version if it comes out first. If you've already read the book, you might not. Right? I think that was a Tarantino ego thing, though, because, like, this is more about him, like, getting his jollies on, like, recreating the novelization, which, you know, traditionally were these little paperback things. We know better than anyone. Uh, These little uh, flimsy paperback things that you would just see on a rack in a a drugstore or buy a fruit stand or something like that. Um, So I I think he wanted that that cheap paperback look. You know, I, I think that one is more important to him. And then, you know, he says, for the real fans... You'll you'll get the deluxe thing with all the, uh, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know who is uh, making money off of this or not making money. Uh, but uh, you know, it's 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 a collector's item. Yeah, I feel like if you're gonna do the deluxe hardcover, it should be like the script and the novel or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that would be cool. Really Absolutely. Worth it. Or like you said, just the art of with with, uh, with four times as many photos. Yeah, I, mean, I would this go thing crazy would not for stand an art alone for as an art movie. book. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it it makes sense recreating, as you say, Johnny, the 70s paperback that you can put in your back pocket, read as we all did sort of just around this summer, and to have the hardcover just be the same thing doesn't make sense because there never would have been a hardcover of a book like this. Mm -hmm. I think he's just trying to have his cake and eat it too. I mean, he wants to have, as Johnny says, the authentic novelization like the type of novelization that would have been on the shelf 25 years ago and at the same time he put so much work into this movie that he wants to show off every bit of spec artwork that was involved and like yeah i want to see that too i buy art books i'm not buying a book i've already bought 
Quentin. No, I agree. It's an art book is holding up my microphone right now. I'm going to jump on this to say that, like, jump on this thing. I'm already talking. So, like, what does it mean to jump on it when I'm already talking? Keep jumping. Uh, (laughs) Baby jump. So I, I think it's also weird because if you put out the hardcover with the photos first, then people who are kind of like casual enjoyers of the film might be like, oh, I heard there's bonus stuff in there. That's cool. Whereas if you just put the novelization out first, the only people who are going to buy it are people who like movies and read novelizations, which is a very small subsection of culture. There's probably four people who do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's upwards of six sometimes. There's like 11 people that that are like forced to do it. On occasion, <laughs> do we do we think Quentin's just trying to delay the inevitability that he told us he was going to make ten movies? And I think that's very much a part of it. I, I think that you know because he, he he does keep saying like only one more movie for me, but what he you know never really implies with that is oh, but like lots of little side projects. And uh, I mean, I, I guess this is a good segue to get to the Bounty Law script. Let's definitely talk about the script. Which is, uh, you know, a I guess a more or less complete script of a half hour show. Uh, and Tarantino claims to have written like 10 of these and says, yeah, I'm shopping it around. Maybe Netflix, who knows? And uh, I, I, I want to be first to say like, Hey, I think it's uh, very cute. It's a, it's a fun little novelty that you actually uh, wrote a script in the style of one of these old shows, but I, Johnny I Byrne incoming. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, Johnny. No, no, I was just no, so no, excited no. that you're about to put the the king down. Um, I just I could I'm fine with if here's what I'm fine with from Netflix. Tarantino wants to make ten half hour things in the universe. Like if he wanted to make ten things that Jake Cahill was in, an FBI episode, a bounty mm. law. Lancer. I would watch one of each of those, if especially if they were sort of structured in order that they would be like either chronological or kind of different styles. Like, give me that. No one wants to watch your black and white western. I do. I'm sorry, QT. <laughs> well, I, I'd I, watch I, it. Yeah, yeah. As I, a person who has recently been watching black and white westerns. Okay, for, I I think we need to explain to the to the listener what the bounty law script is about. But first, Hannah, since you didn't read it, you're obviously going to say something different. So say that first. No, I was just going to say, <laughs> yep. Um, I was just going to say that the the clues we get about bounty law in the movie are that it's kind of a nasty, brutal show, and Jake Cahill is like a hard, tough character, and that he's like found a lot of success playing a guy who's like mean. Um, which allows him to then play like the villain and the Lancer pilot to like great success. Like that's kind of the reason that he's right. (laughs) So in the script for Bounty Law, jumping off of that idea of him being like mean, I found the script showed him to be different than like the two seconds of Bounty Law we see in the film. Uh, When he and Cliff are watching Bounty Law and they're like, you know, chasing down a guy in a pickup truck and they've got like That's not Bounty Law. FBI. Oh, he's That's a FBI. guest star. Okay. Well, then I am extremely You wrong. fool. But <laughs> stuff we see of Bounty Law Bounty is Law him. seems like kind of a sleepy show. It seems gunsmoky. <laughs> it's it's it, very gunsmoky and then also uh I I do think that uh reading the script makes you think like, "Oh, this was not a great vehicle for uh for uh uh 
J- Jake, J- I mean, uh, Rick Dalton. Rick, Rick Dalton. Oh, forgive me. This was not a great vehicle for Rick Dalton. It sort of uh, does explain why his career is stalled and stagnant. Because uh, although, like the character of Jake, uh, bounty law guy, it, uh, might be fun, uh, he's somewhat passive. You know, he does. You know, get to shoot the shoot the bad guy at the end. But it, you get the sense that maybe week to week, each episode of Bounty Law really was more like a uh, Columbo or something, where the juicy part is the villain of the week. They get I all was... the good scenes, and he just is there to catch him at the end. Johnny, not <laughs> only is it like Columbo in that way, it reveals itself in the script. So I, we, I should probably run down what the script is about yes and so, i apologize to you hannah that if these columbo references are going on over your head i know you're not <laughs> columbo. Har, har. Uh, i was about to hop in and be like what's what works in columbo is that peter falk is making that character interesting on its own and maybe rick dalton is not capable of that i think that's definitely true rick dalton is not like uh the He's a little guy, but he's not a little guy. You know what I mean? He's not like the interesting part of any Bounty Law script, it seems. He's the protagonist, but the flavor of each episode seems to be the other elements. So the script that we get, uh, which what is the title of that script? Um, Uh, Something in Inez. Incident at Inez by Robert Fuzz. Um, this... <laughs> who also produced it. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. This guy is doing is doing really well. So um, the, the basic premise of this script is that uh, Rick Dalton rolls into this town, Inez, and there is a wedding going on. And he goes to the police station and the sheriff is getting ready to go to the wedding. And Rick Dalton basically says, don't have the wedding. The bride robbed a bank. And he's like, Okay, show me the warrant. He shows them the warrant. They go arrest the bride. Then we're back at the police station, and it's basically all of the bride's, or the groom's family, like, protesting and being like, no, this is April. We love April. And Rick Dalton being like, this is Ruby Ravenshear. And she <laughs> she is a criminal. And then for, I'm going to say, half of the script, we go to the past to see what Ruby Ravenshear did. And it starts after she has robbed the bank. She is in another jail cell. So we're flashing back from her presently in a jail cell to her in a different one in the past. And essentially, it's the story of how she slowly and surely emotionally seduces the sheriff who's keeping her prisoner. And then they have some sort of romance while she's still at the police station. And then it gets to the point where he bakes her a birthday cake. She stabs him to death with the knife and gets out. And and this is jump- all in flashback? This yeah. is all in flashback. So I, I, I want to sum up the end, but, but yes, I, I want to talk about the structure as well. So the end of it, I mean, we're basically at the end when the flashback ends because it's so long. And when we're back in the present... They're like, that can't be true, whatever. And and the sheriff of Inez is like, I mean, it seems true. And to solve it, because it seems like the groom is going to try to kill Rick because he just wants to believe that his fiance is good. Rick just shoots the woman dead. Ice cold. Ice cold. And he goes... He does note dead or alive early in the episode. And he goes to the groom, or no, not to the groom, but to the groom's family. He's like, 
put this guy like in a cellar and lock the door until I'm very far away from town because he's probably coming for me. And, and the whole family just switches to his side and they're like, we sure will, buddy. We sure will. Um, I'll stop so talking do, in a second, but... Are we supposed to believe that all bounty laws have this structure yes, of like bookends exactly, with flashbacks? That's, that's what exactly I what I was going to say. It huh. has a Columbo-esque structure and I understand that Columbo doesn't have that structure, but it has a Columbo-esque structure where it seems like Every episode is Rick Dalton arrives for the arrest. Let's flash back and see what this person did. Climax of the episode. And the a chance for the guest star to shine. You know, it's, it's mm. an and appealing a chance, guest spot. A chance for the, and a chance for the um, star, Rick Dalton, to not do that much every episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, who do we think was Ruby? Uh, Angie Dickinson, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a problem I would say a missed opportunity is that he doesn't say like who the cast was for a book mm. that got so in depth about all these mm-hmm. like Bruce Dern movies that didn't exist. That yeah, that would have been cool. Like, give us the cast list of who was in this. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Um, yeah, Volume but three. <laughs> the script is also not unlike the Hateful Eight. Yes, I thought the same thing, and I did imagine a uh, little Jennifer Jason Lee in there as well, just sort of making those uh, comparisons. Uh, yes, uh, maybe it is suspiciously similar to The Hateful Eight in the sense that uh, he really just tossed this off in an afternoon. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I love The Hateful Eight. I'll, I'll oh, I, I do too. I, I like I, it too. I, yeah. um, there's a, a fun also uh, fake Chekhov's gun in the script. Uh, where there's a lot of emphasis put on the fact that Ruby, while imprisoned with the guy that she'll seduce, asks him for a candle, like yeah. to read her Bible, mm-hmm. and and that's she's like emotionally manipulating him because he's like, oh, she wants to read her Bible. Maybe she's a good woman, and that's what got things started. But there's a lot of focus in the stage directions on the candle. Yeah, and I'm thinking, nothing, what nothing you happens do with, this with candle? the candle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she just stabs him. Damn, girl. Yeah. Maybe she, I don't know. <laughs> That's so interesting. I mean, I'm not going to read it, but again, if they <laughs> produced it and I could watch it on TV, I, I might. I think the structure of Bounty Law and how little it asks of Rick Dalton, that he basically just shows up to sit around and explain things for like 10 minutes and then end of episode. I think it lives also in the Mad Magazine section because... The Mad Magazine section is characterizing him as a lazy actor who gives sleepy performances. <laughs> and I like that Tarantino like knows that about his protagonist and is even sort of writing it into the scripts of Bounty Law. That's smart. That's cool. I dig. It does seem to be like a maybe season three episode. They're running out of steam and ideas and, uh, you know, it's maybe not the heyday of Bounty Law. I just want to discuss some of these movie posters that Rick Dalton has been inserted into. Yeah. um, Because they're fun. Like Battle of the Coral Sea, a real movie. (laughs) The poster doesn't look like this quite. Um, But there he is doing... I don't know, strangling in our lower corner. That's fun. Um, we get some bounty law pictures. I think these TV guide covers are great. Is Wiley yeah. Coyote too violent? Another thing I would frame. <laughs> like that's a TV guide poster that I truly love. Hilarious, makes me laugh. 
Um, also, these like bounty law novelization covers, basically. Yeah. Amazing. Would read. I mean, Comanche Uprising is a post is based on the poster for Navajo Joe. Like some of these are like so cool in comparison to what they actually are. I think um, that he's like in it. Uh, same with like Hellfire Texas, a real movie with a real poster that looks like that, uh, where it's just like, no, here's a different guy where, you know, whatever. I just think it's neat. It's like cool artistry for me, like that kind of replacement. They're all like very well done and very thoughtfully done. And Yeah, the posters know, look it. gorgeous. They're amazing. Yeah. And, the, and the fact that they don't all forefront rick i mean obviously they wouldn't but the fact that hellfire texas is just glenn ford's face is huge like yeah you, you could be forgiven for missing rick altogether is he even on there who's to say or like jigsaw jane oh i want to see that jane movie such so a cool bad yeah i what is that movie i can't wait to find out the, the tagline for jigsaw jane you can't see the picture clearly till the last piece of the puzzle is put into place dot 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 therefore this is all in caps this last part therefore no one will be admitted during the last 10 minutes can you imagine walking into a movie in the last 10 minutes and be like this is fine i've experienced the film i can't imagine doing it but the amount of times i've seen people do it <laughs> i'm grateful for the policy i mean gimmick movie theater stuff i think we should bring back of like you're not allowed in and like there's ghouls here and skeletons are falling from the ceiling i really want that back yeah, if, if you're ever in the city, uh, which uh, may be a tall order for some, uh, uh, when uh, Film Forum every few years will show like The Tingler uh, and uh, they'll, they'll wire a few of the seats and it, it is so much fun. I'm never lucky enough to, to get one of the seats and I, I usually sort of check underneath. It's like, oh, it's not there, <laughs> the stuff, but uh, yeah. I, I would also say the 4D movie at Madame Tussauds is not good, oh. but it has some of, it's like a Marvel 4D movie, but it has some of the same bits and gags of like things scuttling under your feet and like air blows on you and the delights of a 4D movie. All right, here's the, here's the abbreviated version of the end of the podcast. You are only allowed to say recommend or do not recommend with the modifiers like hard or soft. <laughs> Hannah Blackman. Uh, soft recommend. Andrew Marco. Soft recommend. Johnny Pomato. Soft recommend for the sake of the artwork. Uh, hard recommend for the soft paperback. <laughs> Overbeam. Oh, hi. Recommend, don't recommend? Uh, I'm going to go with a uh, hard recommend at the $15 price. If it's if it jumps back to forty five, that's a that's a hard do not recommend. It goes all the way to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> all right, treat. All right, so uh, listener, um, as you know, your mission is to follow the crumbs. So here we go. <coughs> Thanks for dropping me off, Dorinda said to Galleria and her mom. I live right here. The cab they were riding in pulled up in front of an elegant building where a doorman stood at attention in a cape and cap. Watch the cars, Dorothea cautioned as Dorinda stepped out of the taxi and shut the door behind her. Galleria couldn't even muster a goodbye. What could that be from? Follow the crumbs, listeners. Yeah.